Let's take our Bibles this morning as we turn in them and open them to our study of the Gospel of Luke. The good news of Jesus Christ by means of the Holy Spirit through the hand of Dr. Luke. We are returning this morning to Luke chapter 8, and we we're focusing our attention on verses 4 through 18. And we could include and probably should include verses 19 through 21 because the theme in all of those verses is very clear and it's the title of this message and the message that we had last Lord's Day and that is be careful how you listen. Be careful how you listen. Before we read this text together, I want to just bow again in a word of prayer and ask God to open our hearts to this truth this morning. Father, thank you for this moment. It's a moment ordained by you, given to us, that we might open your word together and hear from you. For we do not know whether this may be the day in which you return, that this would be the last time that we gather together to open the Word and hear from you through your servants, the apostles and the prophets. So the next voice we may hear would be that trumpet blast where we would meet you in the air. We long for that day, and yet here we are with this great wonder and joy to be able to hear from you. You have not left us as orphans. And we can hear from you. And so we desire your spirit move upon us this morning and work in our hearts to massage this truth deep within us that we might be like our Savior, Jesus Christ. And so we ask your attendance upon us, Lord, as we worship you through the study of your word. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Let me just read this text for us as we begin our time. It's rather lengthy, but it's an entire narrative portion, and we need to have it in our minds as a whole. Luke says, when a large crowd was coming together, beginning in verse 4, and those from the various cities were journeying to him, he spoke by way of a parable. The sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some fell beside the road, and it was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air ate it up. Other fell on rocky soil, and as soon as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. Others' seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up with it, choked it out. Other seed fell into the good soil, grew up, and produced a crop a hundred times as great. And as he said these things, he would call out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And his disciples began questioning him as to what this parable meant. And he said to you, it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God. But to the rest, it is in parables, so that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. Now the parable is this, the seed is the word of God. Those beside the road are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their heart so that they will not believe and be saved. 
Those on the rocky soil are those who, when they hear, receive the word with joy, and these have no firm root. They believe for a while, and in time of temptation, they fall away. The seed which fell among the thorns, these are the ones who have heard, and as they go on their way, they are choked with worries and riches and pleasures of this life, and they bring no fruit to maturity. But the seed in the good soil, these are the ones who have heard the word in an honest and good heart and hold it fast and bear fruit with perseverance. Now, no one after lighting a lamp covers it over with a container or puts it under a bed, but he, he puts it on a lampstand so that those who come in may see the light. For nothing hidden, Nothing is hidden that will not become evident, nor anything secret that will not be known and come to light. So take care how you listen. For whoever has, to him more shall be given. And whoever does not have, even what he thinks he has, shall be taken away from him. His mother and his brothers came to him, and they were unable to get to him because of the crowd. And it was reported to him, your mother and your brothers are standing outside wishing to see you. He answered and said to them, My mother and my brothers are these who hear the word of God and do it. It is apparent in the Gospel of Luke, as well as the other synoptic Gospel writers, Matthew and Mark, that the ministry is changing for Jesus as He brings to the people the Gospel of salvation, His message has not changed, of course. He is preaching the same message. It will not, in fact, change. But the way in which he is communicating is changing. Jesus is beginning, as he says, to teach in parables. In fact, it is very interesting when you consider the parallel account of this this event in Mark's Gospel. It's found in Mark chapter 4. And Mark explains that Jesus is teaching truth that is concerning eternal life and the nature of the kingdom of God. And of course, we saw that also in Luke 8 as Jesus was going from town to town and village to village in the first few verses of chapter 8. Because it says there that soon afterwards he began going around from city to city, village to village, proclaiming and preaching the kingdom of God. And you remember that when we, when we looked closely at verse 1 of chapter 8 and those terms, the kingdom of God, and that he's preaching the kingdom of God, that what Jesus was preaching was not in some new aspect of what the kingdom was to be. Certainly it would have been new in the hearts of many of the Jews because they thought the kingdom was some kind of earthly reality in which Jesus was going to set up something and remove the, the power of the Romans over them. But really what he was talking about was salvation the belief in Jesus Christ. In other words, the kingdom of God is a gospel kingdom. It is the kingdom of those who are saved, a kingdom of salvation. It is the kingdom of those who have embraced Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. But that message was being rejected. It was Rejected certainly by the masses at at large in, in subtle ways, but it was being rejected by the religious leaders in a direct way. 
they were challenging Jesus Christ. They were continually asking Jesus's question, Jesus' questions in order to catch him in something so that they might accuse him of wrongdoing. And so the message is being rejected. He was teaching and preaching the gospel. Think about it. This is the greatest preacher who has ever walked the face of this earth. There has been no better preacher that has ever come along since the days of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, every sentence was correct. Every word was in the right place. The gospel was always exact. And yet it's being rejected by the people. There is no effect upon their hearts. The seed that he is sowing is bouncing off. It never penetrates. And so Jesus begins teaching in parables. So that all of those whom God has chosen to save, that the ones whom God grants understanding of the spiritual truth, that they would understand, and those who He doesn't grant that would hear, but gain no spiritual understanding. The gospel is going forth, and yet only some are gaining from it. Verse 10 clearly says, It has been granted to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God, but to the rest, it is in parables. So this is the nature of the kingdom of God. The word goes out. The truth is spoken. We speak the truth of the word of God. And while everyone hears, while the word goes out, people hear the truth, many will even when Jesus was walking the face of the earth, see the very miracles that He was doing that authenticated the reality of who He was by His divinity, that He is God in the flesh, even though they're seeing that and hearing His message, only a few understand and believe. Last Lord's Day, we began to look intently at this parable, and in verse 10, as I just said, it says that that is the mysteries of the kingdom of God. The mystery of the kingdom of God. And that need not confuse us because simply that implies that this is the truth of God concerning His plan of redemption through the ages. That's the reality of it. How God would go about saving a people unto Himself. The Jews thought, well, it's just us, remember? It was just us whom we are God's people. We're that by heritage, and our heritage is what saves us. We are the children of Abraham, the Pharisees said to Jesus. And yet they fully missed the reality that God saves people by faith. Even the Old Testament shows that. Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him as righteousness. And so the mystery of the kingdom was that which began in the heart of the First believer, whoever believed, and it is the same that will continue until Christ returns and our glorification in Jesus Christ. That's the the kingdom of God, the mystery of the kingdom. And here in Luke 8, it is being pictured through this parable that we know as the parable of the sower. It's really... Just four short verses, five through eight is the verses. Sower goes out to sow the seed, and he sows. And some falls beside the road, and it's trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air eat it up. Others fall in rocky soil. It grows up quickly. It withers away. It has no moisture. Others fall among thorns, and the thorns grow up with it and choke it out. And others fall around 
and into the good soil, and it grows up and produces a crop a hundred times greater. So this is the nature of the kingdom of God. Really simple. The sower goes out, and the sower sows seed, and he sows, and as he does so, that seed falls upon four different soil conditions. The hard ground, the rocky ground, the thorny ground, and the good ground. We see that clearly in verses 5, 6, 7, and 8. Those are the four grounds. By nature, they are all essentially the same. They're all dirt. They're all some kind of ground. The only difference between them is the influence really upon them. The influence upon them, what it is that is hardening their heart, what it is that that only brings out the hardness that is so prevalent in every heart, and we are introduced to all of them here. We looked at the first three last week. I'll just kind of run over those quickly so that we have them in our mind. You remember the hard ground of verse 5? It was the ground on which the seed fell, but it never sank in just bounced off. It was ground that was hard on the surface. Ground that had been pounded down over years of constant travel. Jesus Christ, in verse 12, equates this kind of ground to a person whose heart is one upon which the Word of God comes. They hear it, but they immediately reject it. They want nothing to do with it. And he says it, it's that kind of road. They heard it, then the devil comes and takes away the word from their heart. You notice over in verse 5, it says, Some fell beside the road, and it was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air ate it up. So you have this, this constant peddling of the, of the ground, this pounding of the ground. The heart remains hard, and of course Satan is behind it all stealing the Word so that they don't believe and thereby are saved. You say, well, how does that happen? God allows that. God allows that judicial rejection because someone wants nothing to do with the truth. They're responsible, and yet all under the sovereign hand of God. So Satan is the ultimate agent behind the rejection. Why? Because Satan is the father of lies. Everyone who rejects the gospel is like Satan himself. He's the one who's behind it all. Satan's equated, of course, here in the parable, as Jesus equates it in verse 12, with the birds. In other words, he's the subversive agent behind all rejection of Christ because he is just that. He's the father of lies. So anyone who rejects the truth of the gospel in their rejection is believing a lie. They're in the place of lies, and the gospel comes in order to break up the lie and give them truth, but they reject the truth because they believe the lie. They believe the false gospel that Satan places. So the hard ground is like the hard heart. It's a heart so pounded over the years by constant habitual sin that it's now completely insensitive to the gospel altogether. It's the heart with no repentance, no sense of guilt, No sorrow at all for sin, just cold, calculated in their rejection to the truth. I remember sitting here one Sunday morning in my office. The men were in there praying. We were going to pray, and a man came to the church. He was angry. 
angry with someone who had shared the gospel with him from our church. He shared the gospel with him. He came to the church that morning, and he was angry. He wanted to have no one ever come to his house again. And I said, well, we're just trying to help you. And he said, listen, I don't need your help. He said, I told my daughter when I die, you put two shotguns in my coffin with me because I'm going in guns a-blazing. And I thought, wow. I said, well, you'll be going in, but it won't have anything to do with your guns. He didn't like that. Left in a huff, walked out, and went to another church that was sharing the gospel with him. He hated the gospel. It's the hard heart. Calculated in its rejection. Bears no fruit. Why? Because it never takes root. There's no actual planting that happens. Never takes into truth. Light of the gospel has no place with darkness. That kind of person is an unsaved person, obviously. They don't desire the truth. They continue to reject the truth. It's not hard for us to see. It's not hard for us to understand. Some of us even have relatives that are like that in our own families. People who've heard the truth, and yet they say, stay away from me with that. I don't want it. And yet, and yet, here's the reality. At the same time, as true believers, as Christians, we can sometimes reflect that kind of heart, even though we're saved. We can reflect the hardness of that heart because there are times in our lives when we hear the truth of God. We sit under the truth of God. We have the Word of God being poured on us and we sit under that teaching and we do our own Bible studies and we hear it over and over again and it has no effect. Remember years ago, one of my mentors said I, at the church they were at, I preach the Word of God over and over. I pour it out to you in buckets. You fill up your thimbles and spill it on the steps on the way out. I thought, wow. That's what happens sometimes. And so this ought to serve as a warning to us. Not ever reject what we're hearing. Be careful how you listen. Be careful how you listen. Don't just reject it. Don't just hear it and go, oh, hey, that's good for somebody else. No, it's good for you. It's good for me. Secondly, we saw the rocky ground. Verse 6. Falls on the rocky soil, and as soon as it grows up, it's withered away. Why? It has no moisture. It looks good on the surface. It springs up. There's some kind of plant there. It appears to be fertile ground, but laying right below the surface, right below that layer of dirt is stone hard rock. It just tells us that it was just like the hard ground, except the hard part was hidden. It's like the hypocrite claims to be righteous in all they do, and yet underneath the ground is just a stone hard heart hypocritical, unyielding bedrock of rebellion in their own life, resistance to the truth of God just below the surface. Jesus says that kind of soil is equated with the human heart that hears the Word taught. Just like the hard soil, the Word goes out, they hear it, but when they hear it, it immediately takes up with joy. They go, oh yeah, this is good, I I really like this. Joy is that, that word for charisma, charis. It's, it's that idea of, of 
of just exuberant joy, a real euphoria. Verse 13 says, no, they don't have a root. They believe for a while, and in time of temptation, they fall away. So there's this euphoric experience that happens concerning what's heard. Ooh, the gospel, Jesus, I want to follow Jesus. Seems to be a seed that's received until, until temptation comes. In fact, in Mark chapter 4, Mark's gospel, it says, until the heat of the sun comes upon it. And the sun is equated by Christ in Mark 4 as being trials, temptations, things that come upon it because of the truth, because they, they claim to, to be part of the team. Sometimes you see someone like that, they're exuberant about Jesus, exuberant about the church, exuberant about the gospel until somebody starts to challenge them with it challenge what they believe, oh, they don't want that anymore, and so they quickly just fade away. Persecution. Sometimes it's hot and unyielding. It's relentless and unending. Because that kind of heart is so shallow, because it has no system to support it, the appearance shows for a while that it appears as if it has growth, but when the heat comes, it just fades away. No moisture, verse 13 says. It was temporary. It fades before it appears that it should fade, but that only proves that it has a shallow base. It's not real. Shallow belief. It's a non-fruit producer. Had signs of life, looked good, but in the end it's no closer to life than the seed on the hard ground. Both of them unfruitful. And there was the third type of ground. Verse 7 says, They're thorny ground, seeds falls among the thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it out. Notice the preposition among. Seeds were sown among. In other words, they. this is ground that already had weeds grown up. There were thorn bushes there at one point, but somebody somewhere cultivated it. Someone took the weeds down. The seeds, the weeds aren't there anymore. No right farmer would ever throw his seeds into a thorn patch. So it's not visible. They're not there at the time. You just throw the seed. You, you throw the Word of God out. But when it grows up, the thorns grow up with it. Why? Because they're still there. They may have been cut down for a while. They may have been unvisible for a time, but now they're visible because they've grown up with the good seed and it chokes out what may have been something. Jesus says in verse 13, that's the perfect description, or verse 14, that's the perfect description of those who hear the truth of the gospel and yet the things of the world choke it out. Notice the seed which fell among the thorns. Verse 14, these are the ones who have heard as they go on their way. That is, as life carries on, they are choked with worries and riches and pleasures of this life. And so the consequence is, the result is, they bring no fruit to maturity. The very explanation that Christ gives of the thorny ground. Worries of this world, especially the deceitfulness of riches, the 
pleasures of this life, the desire for other things, the desire for the world. Those are the weeds in the parable. And so what is Jesus describing? He's simply describing the worldly person. The worldly person, of course, all the first three are worldly in, in, in that sense. They're, they're tied to the things of this world. The, the hard ground rejects, it, rejects Christ because this world is good enough. This is what they love, and they want nothing to do with religion. The one with the rocky soil underneath thinks they'll, they'll get something from it, and yet when difficulties arise, they have no root. They will never grow. There's no fruit there. And of course... Among the thorns, the world is clearly in their life. It isn't hidden behind shrouds. It's clearly out there. The worries of that just choke it out. person consumed by the daily cares of the here and now. And of course, like all the previous soils, for a while they looked good. In fact, if they were in church, they'd look like just the rest of us. They'd look like the true Christian too. They might attach themselves even to ministry. They attach themselves to churches. Why? As one of my mentors said, bright lights attract a lot of bugs. The gospel attracts a lot of bugs. The identity with God's people is very drawing, especially in a world filled with trouble. They might even appear to show some kind of Christian growth. But in the end, there's no mature fruit. Gone. They're preoccupied with worldly things. They profess maybe to know Jesus. But there's no concern for living for Christ. I'll just live like I used to live. I'll live like the world lives. And so the seed sown sprouts up. It looks good for a time, but ultimately becomes consumed by what it really loves, the world, and eventually it shows no signs of life at all. You say, what happened? What happened to that? Did they lose a once received salvation? Did they, did they have salvation and then they lose salvation? No, that can't happen. All whom the Father gives me, Jesus said, I lose none. So no one truly saved can be snatched from the hand of the Father the reality is they never really had it. Why? Because the dirt was polluted all along. The sinful pollution of their heart killed the good seed. And so signs of life are promising, but it's only those who truly know Christ that bear fruit. You say, really? Yeah, just listen to the words of Jesus in John chapter 15. John 15, verses 1 to 6, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, He takes away, and every branch that bears fruit, He prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. You're already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. So abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I'm the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up. And they gather them and cast them into the fire and they are burned. 
pretty severe description of those who are Jesus Christ and those who are not. The thorny, worldly heart only appears to embrace the Word. But in the end, He refuses. It's rejected just like the rest. Why? Because of the desires of the world. And again, uh, this is a warning. This is a, a cautionary tale of reality about the gospel that we had to be careful how we listen to the gospel. And yet it is a, a cautionary tale for us who are true believers. You say, how so? Well, we need to ask ourselves a few questions about our own heart. You need to ask yourself, how much of the world has a grip on me? How much of the world in which I live has a real grip upon me and my own heart and my own life and what I do and how I live? We need to ask ourselves a question. Is the world really my love? Maybe, maybe I'm deceiving myself. Maybe I'm not in a relationship with Christ, even though I've convinced myself that I am. I'm only looking good on the outside, but really, I'm in love with the world. Is there spiritual fruit being produced in your life? Do you truly love the brethren? Love the people of the church? Love God's body, serve them as Christ has served you? Are we sacrificial in our lives for one another? Do we give of ourselves? Do we, as I heard someone say in this morning's adult Sunday school class, do we die to self? Do we take up our cross and follow Jesus Christ, even though that may cost me? Why, Christ has sacrificed for us. Jesus said it as clearly as ever. You cannot have two masters. We cannot let it slip notice. The enemies of the gospel come in varying forms. Satan surely wants no one to understand the truth of the gospel. That's clear in this passage. He wants no one to embrace the gospel. He knows the end. He knows what's coming. He is the defeated foe. He knows that. And the reality is he wants to make sure that as many as he can do not follow the gospel. but also the world, his domain. He is the prince of the power of the air, it says in Ephesians. The world in which we live offers all kinds of things that are against the gospel. And our fallenness loves that. And so it's filled with all kinds of temptations and persecutions that are aimed at killing the gospel seed. I mean, you get to the end of this and you think to yourself, man, is there any hope? Is there any hope for any of us? There is hope, and that's the wonder of our Savior. There is one final soil in this parable. It's in verse 8. Explained to us in verse 15, other seed fell into the good soil. And it grew up produced a crop a hundred times as great. You should have noticed something. There's a different preposition being used in each one of these verses. It's, it's very interesting to me. Some fell beside the road. You notice, beside, verse 5. Other seed fell on rocky soil, verse 6. Some seed fell among the thorns, 
But yet when you get to verse 8, some seed fell into the good soil. God knows how to use language, doesn't he? That's a plug PSA for the hermeneutics class. So far, the soil has been all bad. It's all bad. Unready to receive. That's what we mean. It's, it's unready to receive. But one is left, and Jesus describes it as good soil. Literally, literally meaning ready soil. It's soil ready to receive. <laughs> In other words, soil that has been prepared, soil that has been cultivated, soil that has been dealt with, it's ready to take in the seed that is planted. That's an encouraging climax, actually. Because otherwise, it's just a downward parable. I mean, it just gets worse as it goes. This would be a massive downer in the words of Jesus, particularly even to the crowds and to all of us if it ended with the seed that's choked out in verse 7. And yet here we are, we have one that is good. And that just shows the grace and mercy of God, does it not? Why? Because Jesus wanted those who were hearing His teaching. Jesus wanted those who were hearing the Gospel to know that there's always part of the field that is cultivated ground. There's always cultivated ground. Ground that has been made ready to receive the seed. And it would yield produce. Jesus explains this seed in verse 15. The seed in the good soil... Notice it's in the good soil. It's not, it's not just beside it. It's not on it. It's not among it. It's in it. The seed that's in the good soil, these are the ones who have heard the Word in an honest and good heart. Well, let's not take this parable too far and contradict Scripture and think that humans have in and of themselves in their fallen nature a good heart. Right? The Bible clearly tells us all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Jeremiah says the heart is deceitful and wicked above all things. Jeremiah 17.9 It isn't that man has a good heart. It's that the cultivator has cultivated it so that it's good. And because of that it holds fast to the Word and bears fruit with perseverance. Now, if you were planting a garden, you'd want to gain produce, wouldn't you? That's the whole point of planting a garden. You don't, spring is upon us, people are planting seeds. You don't just plant those seeds in order to find that you have some kind of plant growing, but it produces no fruit. No, the goal is produce. Well, that's the goal of the gospel. The gospel goes out and and. The seed is planted so that it might produce, produce fruit. The ultimate proof of anyone's true conversion is just that, a fruit producer. They bear fruit. What Jesus says in John 15, Abide in me, you bear fruit. If there's no spiritual fruit, or if there's immature rotten fruit, then it shows that the ground from which it appears to have grown it's worthless. Worthless. We take that picture 
and we transfer that metaphor to the heart of man, which is Jesus' intent with the people, why he's talking in parables, and why he says to you, it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God. Listen, that is a God-doing thing. That is not a man-doing thing. God is the one who opens the heart. If we take that picture, if there is no fruit of the Spirit being seen in a life, or if that supposed fruit is all a fakery, it is just this false kind of fruit that is rotten anyway, it has no substance, it's bad, unspiritual fruit, and that shows that the heart is not a redeemed heart. The good soil, that which is the true believer, the one which God has cultivated, which God has chosen, which God has granted to know the mystery of the kingdom, the one to which fruit is being produced at varying levels. That's the believing heart. Mark Gospel says it this way, some it produces some sixty, some thirty or some some thirty, some sixty, some hundredfold. Verse fifteen says it holds fast and bears fruit with perseverance. In other words, fruit that is steadfast, fruit that lasts. That's the juxtaposition between someone who has no fruit to maturity. It's, it's fruit that doesn't last. It, it looks like fruit, but it really isn't fruit. It, it doesn't last. This is fruit that has perseverance. It perseveres. In other words, fruit that remains. True fruit. doesn't mean that each believer is the same. What it does mean is that each true believer is a fruit bearer and that fruit perseveres to the end. So we cannot miss the point being made here, beloved. Don't miss the point. We have to listen carefully, right? Be careful how you listen. Take care how you listen, Jesus says in verse 18. We cannot miss the point. Signs of life, signs of life are not the mark of being redeemed. Let me say that again. Signs, appearance of life, are not the signs of being redeemed. What makes the soils different is whether they bear fruit to perseverance or not. Fruit shows life. Three out of the four showed signs of life. But only one produced fruit unto perseverance. The rocky soil showed signs of life, didn't last. The thorny soil showed signs of life, looked real, no fruit to maturity. Only the good soil had signs of life and proved that it was real life because fruit was produced and it persevered. The seed is the gospel. Only one true ground received it. One writer put it this way, quote, It's important to note that none of these first three hearts, the soil by the roadside, the shallow soil, or the weedy soil, neither one of them underwent salvation. The proof of salvation is not listening to the Word, like the hard soil, 
It isn't having a quick emotional response to the Word, like the rocky soil. It isn't even cultivating the Word so that it shows some kind of potential signs of life, like the thorny ground. No, the proof of salvation is fruit. For as Christ said, you shall know them by their fruit. Unquote. Right. All of the first three are equally dead. No produced fruit. Even though the gospel went out, the, the, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation, we spread the seed. There was no product in those three. The seed was sown. There was unfruitful mess there. Why? Because the heart upon which it fell was rejecting it. Let us not forget, even Christians can be disobedient to the truth. Why? Because we all still sin. Oh, we ought to be striving for holiness. That's what we ought to be striving for, godliness in all of our life. But yet we still choose at times to be sinful. And so just as we have been bringing out with each type of soil, while this parable is speaking directly to the difference between the true and the false, Jesus is trying to get these people to understand through the Word of God that they are false. They need to believe the Gospel. So Jesus is comparing the unfruitful with the real fruit. Even true believers can have time of rejecting truth. Even we can be truth rejectors. But the reality is we only reject for a time. Why? Because all true believers will produce fruit. And the fruit is the identifier of new life in Christ. Every Christian is a fruit bearer. Every one. Oh, it may be hard to find sometimes fruit in their life, but they're fruit bearing. Fruit may be different amounts, but there will be fruit. And every true believer will be visibly different from the hard, rocky, and thorny soil. What's the ultimate point? What's the ultimate point? The ultimate point is the command at the end of verse 8. He said these things, he would call out, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And of course, if you actually hear the Word of God, you want others to hear the Word of God, which is why he says what he says in verses 16 through 18. No one after lighting a lamp covers it over with a container. You hear the Word of God, you're a fruit bearer, you're one who's a lamp that's lighting the path. Well, you you don't take yourself and go hide away. That's not true actions of a believer. You don't go and hide yourself as if, okay, now I got everything cared for, but I'm not going to tell anybody. I'm not going to help anybody else out with that. No. You don't put it under your bed. You put it on a lampstand so that those who come may see the light. You want others to see the light. Nothing is hidden that will not be made become evident. Listen, you can't, you can't go around saying, hey, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian, never act like a Christian, and then in the end think you'll be okay. Listen, that secret life of yours is going to be shown to be true for what it is. Time and truth always march together in the kingdom of God. 
Everything's going to come to light, verse 17 says. So take care how you listen. Take care how you listen. For whoever has you're genuine, guess what? More will be given. You'll, you'll have greater understanding. You'll desire more truth. You'll, you'll grow and grow and grow. And yet, whoever does not have, even though they think they have, even that's going to be taken from them. They're like the branch cut off. Is any wonder Jesus said, listen, stop, stop, stop paying attention to your heritage. Your heritage is meaningless. I think that's exactly why Luke includes this in verse 19. Those mothers and brothers come to him. Oh, Luke doesn't give us all the details as to why, but if you go back to Matthew's gospel and, and, and Mark's gospel, it's, it's because they really think he's lost his mind. He's been overworked. He's working too long. He, he's just delusional his mind. We've got to go rescue him. So they come to him. They're unable to get to him because of the crowd, but they really want to just escape him away. And so someone says, hey, listen, your mother and your brothers are standing outside. They want to see you. And Jesus says, listen, my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word and do it. They hear the word and fruit is produced. They live according to it. That's the, that's the ones who are my mothers, my mother and my brothers. That's my family. This is more than just a pleasant little story, isn't it? This is truth that has to seriously be considered. This is a call for attention, a call for discernment. Jesus says, listen, the truth has been told you. Now what are you going to do with it? You've heard the truth. What are you going to do with it? If you know Jesus Christ, then you're called to be a faithful seed spreader, aren't you? We're all called to, to be a faithful seed spreader. And some of that seed is going to fall on hard ground. Those who say, I, listen, go away from me. I don't want to hear that. Others are going to fall on rocky ground where we think it's good, we think it's taken in, and that person's going to be a sad reality in the testimony in which we see because they're going to receive it with joy and it won't be too long and they'll just fade away. And others are going to even be more like that. They're going to receive it. They're going to look good. And then the troubles of life are going to come along. And the troubles of life are going to choke it out. And they want nothing to do with Jesus because Jesus didn't help them in life. But take heart. There will always be good soil. There will always be ready ground. There will always be ground that's always been cultivated by the vine dresser. It will be cultivated to receive the seed of the gospel. Because the gospel is the power of God unto salvation for all who would believe. So if you know Jesus Christ, that's, that's a call to us. But if you don't know Jesus Christ, maybe, maybe you've been deceiving yourselves for so many years. You know what Jesus says? Stop rejecting. Stop rejecting. Repent and believe. Stop rejecting the gospel. 
Each one of us has a responsibility. Each one of us stands before God alone by ourselves. And we have a responsibility to respond to what we hear. You can't say, well, I'll, I'll, I'll listen when, when my mom listens, or I'll listen when my dad listens, or I'll listen when the family comes, or I'll do this. No, you're going to stand before a holy God on your own. It won't be because of your parents. It won't be because of your relatives. It won't be because you grew up in a certain area. It won't be because you came from some special background. It'll be because you heard the gospel. That's the only way you're going to be saved. Well, that's our call. So we say to you today, please, please, please respond today to the gospel by repenting and believing. You say, is that, is that really how it all works? Yeah, just turn over for a, mo- for a moment. I want to close with this. Turn over to Acts chapter 2. Jesus, of course, has been risen from the dead for some time. He's already in the glories of heaven. He has dispatched the disciples. It's the day of Pentecost. When that day had come, verse 1 says, we're all together in one place. And suddenly, there came from heaven a noise like a a violent rushing wind, and and it filled the whole house where we were sitting. And there appeared to them tongues as of fire distributing themselves, and they rested on each one of them. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. Now there were Jews living in Jerusalem, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the crowd came together. And they were bewildered because each one of them was hearing them speak in their own language. And they were amazed and they were astonished. And they were saying, why are not all of these who are speaking Galileans? And now it's that we hear them in our own language in which we were born? And then, of course, it lists. There's Parthenians there. There's Medes there. There's Elamites. There's residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the districts of Libya around Cyrene, visitors from Rome, Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs. And there's people from all over the globe in Jerusalem at the time. What a coincidence! And they continued in amazement with great perplexity, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others were mocking and saying, oh, they're just full of sweet wine. You see, you got the soil right there. Some are going, hey, what is this about? And others are going, this is just ridiculous. What happens? Peter stands up with the eleven, raises his voice and declares to them, men of Judea, and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let it be known to you and give heed to my words. Listen, listen. Be careful how you listen. That's what he's saying. For these men are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only the third hour of the day. That's ridiculous. Nobody gets drunk that time of the morning. But this is what was spoken through the prophet Joel. And it shall be in the last days, God says, that that I will pour forth my spirit on all mankind. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my bond slaves, both men and women, I will in those days pour forth my spirit and they shall prophesy. And I will grant wonders in the sky above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun will be turned into darkness, the moon into blood before the great and glorious day of the Lord shall come. And that shall be that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Peter just just 
just takes the entire Old Testament from the words of Job and he delineates it down from the beginning of time to the time when Christ is returning and says, this is what Job's talking about. The gospel is going forth. The word of God is going forth. It's going forth in a lot of different ways. And so he says in verse 22, men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs which performed through him in your midst. You yourselves know this. This man delivered over by the predetermined plan and knowledge of God, you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and you put him to death. But God raised him up again, putting to an end the agony of death. Why? Because it's impossible for him to be held by its power. Why is that true? Because David said this, I saw the Lord always in my presence, for he is at my right hand so that I will not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue exalted. Moreover, my flesh will also live in hope. Why? Because you will not abandon my soul to Hades. You won't allow your Holy One to undergo decay. David's saying, I'm secure in Jesus Christ. I'm secure in the one who would rise from the dead. The reason why you won't abandon my soul is because you don't allow him to die. He died and rose again. You have made known to me the ways of life. You will make full of gladness with your presence. And so Peter says, brethren, I may confidently say to you regarding the patriarch David that he has both died and was buried. He is in the tomb with us to this day. And so because he was a prophet and knew God, knew that God had sworn to him with a great oath to seat one of his descendants on the throne, he looked ahead and spoke of the resurrection of Christ. This Jesus, he says in verse 32, God raised up again to which we're all witnesses. Therefore, having been exalted to the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, He has poured forth that which you both see and hear. So he says in verse 36, Therefore, let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made Him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now notice. Don't miss it. Notice what happens. And when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart. There's people in the crowd being careful how they listen. They're listening to it. They're going, oh, this, wait a minute. And so what do they do? They say to Peter and to the rest of the apostles, brethren, what shall we do? We hear what you're saying. We know that's true. We know what we've done. We have sinned grievously. What do we do? And here's what Peter says, repent. And each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Why? Because this promise is for you and your children and all who are far off. Guess what? That's us. We're far off. And when we believed in Jesus Christ, the Spirit came and lived in us. We have the power now to walk in obedience to Christ. We have power now to live out, to walk in Him and bear fruit unto Christ. That's why... It's called the fruit of the Spirit. Because if you'll walk by the Spirit, you will not carry out the deeds of the flesh, Galatians 5 says. And so with many other words, he solemnly testified and kept exhorting them, saying, be saved from this perverse generation. Revival broke out. So when those who received, see that received his word, they were baptized. And they added that day about 3,000 souls. Instant church. Instant visible body of Christ. 3,000 people. That's what happens. That's what happens. Yeah. Careful how you listen. Don't reject it. Respond to the gospel. 
That's our plea. Don't go away today. Don't go away today without knowing. Without knowing the freedom from guilt that you can have in Jesus Christ. Don't go away today like that. Stop rejecting. Let's pray. Father, your word is powerful, it is true, it is right, it is sharper than any true double-edged sword. Lord, we, we save no one, our word save no one. It's only your word. So Lord, take it, massage it into the hearts of your people. Cause each one of us to think critically about our lives, our own hearts, the fruit that we're bearing. May it be more to the maximum of your glory and those who are unbelievers here in our midst, may they repent this day and know Jesus Christ. All to your glory because of your grace and mercy upon us in the name of our Savior we pray. Amen.